Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Annie. And I'm Turtle. And this is a podcast where we bring different worldviews together into conversations about science in Indian country. Welcome back to another Being Indigenous in the Modern World episode. So this one has been a lot of planning, a lot of thought. Yeah. It, Probably I think the more, longest yeah. than, out of any episode we've done. Especially a Bimwa episode. Yeah, Bimwa. For sure. Because <laughs> those are kind of like our spur of the moments. Like, oh yeah, we could talk about this. But we actually did a lot of planning and a lot of talking with Selena Kenmill. Um, really about making sure that we do episode where we have a youthful voice. Even though I'm, hey, I'm youthful. But there are certain people who, who are a little bit younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so she, Selena Kenmill, honored us by coming on the show for as a guest. And she brought her son, Leighton, and then her son's friend or a family friend, a young woman named Heather. Mm-hmm. And they agreed, as well as uh, their parents agreed, that they would like to come on our show and talk about this idea, being mm-hmm. indigenous in the modern world. And we wanted to leave it open for them to kind of guide the conversation as much as as much as much possible. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I know it's a bit out, outside of most people's comfort zones to yeah, be exactly. on, be recorded with all these mics and equipment. But they did great. Yeah, it was a great episode. I think they did a good job. Mm-hmm. They had a lot to say about certain things and not so much about other things. <laughs> and... Uh, so to the two main topics that we ended up that ended up coming up in the beginning was fry or not fry but Indian tacos and suicide awareness. Yeah, and we interestingly enough they came together really it did. nicely. Yeah, you know I think that really having they're they're going into high school now, mm-hmm. and I think having one of the things that I've I've learned a lot is to make sure that I am a good listener when it comes to younger kids, especially ones that are in high school because they definitely feel like maybe they don't have a strong voice and making sure that we are listening. And so I'm really glad that you guys will get a chance to listen to what they have to say. Me too. Me too. And we may have even inspired them to start their own podcast, which yes. would be sweet. I re- I think that'd be awesome if younger kids and their <laughs> teens got more into podcasting and learning for <laughs> a living. Yep, exactly. How do, we talked a lot about a f- lot of fun stuff. A lot of interesting stuff. Um, it's one of our longer episodes, so I really hope that you do listen you know to what? the very end. It, just like this intro, it might be our longest episode. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it I'm is. I'm pretty sure it is our longest yeah. episode. Really, I hope you guys will make it through the whole episode because these kids brought to light a lot of things that maybe as a different generation we don't understand. Yeah, I know they got me thinking about things mm-hmm. a little bit differently than I had before talking with them and... And if you stick around to the very end of the episode, they give their three tips yep. for being indigenous in the modern world. Or maybe we each gave one tip. I think we gave, I yeah. think each of us, each five, that, each five. That's right. So <laughs> there's five, five tips <laughs> for being indigenous in the modern world at the end of the show. And we would put in, what are, what are those called, those chapters where you could skip to it. But yeah. now we're no. going to make you listen. Listen to the, the whole, whole thing. thing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the episode. Today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We are going to have some younger folks join us today from our hometown reservation. We've had this, I don't know, we talked about this a long time ago. I would say probably six months in the working of really trying to understand what we can do to really have more youthful voices on our podcast. We're not that old. That made me sound really old. (laughs) 
um it is my birthday today so i did turn 29 um i guess that that does yeah. make me a little bit older um but um so sing happy birthday? no no <laughs> uh so legend and i are sharing a mic um so then all of the other people that are joining us will have the chance so if there's a little bit of background noise um sorry for that uh we'll try to make it as little as possible but for now i'm gonna have selena and you guys so if you want to start it and maybe we can feel a little bit more comfortable i'm selena kenmel i'm kootenai i work at salish kootenai college as the director of student success and i am um, working on my master's degree on child youth and family cool thank you selena Oh, well, <laughs> my name is Heather, and I go to school at Tuigal River School in Pablo, Montana. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not to say it next. My name is Leighton Weisbrot. Um, I also go to Tuigal River School. And, yeah. <laughs> cool. That's the the classic teenager introductions. I like it. I used to introduce myself the exact same way. And it feels a little bit weird though, right? Being on a microphone and you could hear your own voice. I don't like my voice. It's kind of scary. I know. I've listened to my voice a lot and I still struggle with it. Cool. Well, thank everybody for coming on the show today. Annie and I have talked about a lot of different things that are really important to people on the reservation, but we haven't been able to talk to young people very much. And we both realized that not a lot of young folks listen to podcasts. So I think it's important to get young voices on our podcast. And it's a good opportunity to talk about what it means to be indigenous in the modern world. And we had a little conversation about what we wanted to talk about on the show. And we left it open to you to come up with some stuff and I think the ideas you came up with are pretty good. So we can start with that, which uh, I don't know how to transition into that because they're pretty different. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, I don't know if they have much to do with each other. What do you think? So the topic was fry bread and then suicide awareness <laughs> or Indian tacos. Um, you know, I think that it kind of touch bases on it because I think that a lot of suicide awareness is talking about getting back to your culture. And one of the things that is not technically our culture is Indian tacos and fry bread. I think that was a big part of colonization and a lot of our reliance on government processed foods, which is why we survived a lot of the times was actually through fry bread and a lot of bread processed foods. So, I mean, we can kind of talk about it, but yeah, there are two very different um, topics. Yeah. So, which one of you want to, wants to talk first? Um, I don't know. You want to... I looked at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was your signal, man. <laughs> well, I don't... it's just weird to go from fry bread or to suicide prevention, and I'm just like, dang. Hmm. <clears throat> well, what do you know about fry bread? It's good. Yeah. Who makes <clears throat> the best fry bread? My grandma. <laughs> That's the correct answer. My grandma, <laughs> and my mom. Hmm. I would say the same thing. And you you use baking soda, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what my mom and my grandma use. I, I can't stand yeast bread. 
Yeah. Yeast is gross. It's so thin and like crusty. <laughs> I think it'd be good for hiking trips because it, maybe it's like thinner and so you could store more of it. And I don't know if it would last longer though. We should do some research on that. <laughs> Which one lasts longer? You can use all the leftover grease coming out of it for chapstick. Yeah. <laughs> or some sunscreen. <laughs> Make sure you don't get sunburned. Just dab some fry bread on your face. <laughs> Gives a whole new message to, uh, <laughs> meaning to fry bread face. Anyways, uh, the fry bread. I has anybody in here? Do what about you, Annie? Does your family cook with yeast? Uh, no, uh, baking soda. Okay, yeah, I think that I don't think I think that's kind of rare around here. Baking powder, baking, pa- baking powder, baking. baking powder. But then I've also seen people do uh, dry milk, like uh, dry I put milk dry powder. milk in mine. Yeah. Or like, uh, what's that other kind of milk? The evaporated. Yeah. I've seen a lot of random people use it. And I was just talking to someone about, uh, oh, I already forgot it. What's the Cafe du Monde? What do they sell there? The, uh, the, the. Oh, the, the windmill? No, 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 no. Um, you know, like they have, uh, the little donut that people go to um, New Orleans for. Like the... Is it like a, a, a croissant? No, it's like it looks like fry bread. It's like a square piece of fry bread that people put powdered sugar on. It's probably got a cool French fancy name. But... Doesn't it start with like a B or something? I think so. I want to say it's bunions like and a... it's not a bunion. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, a benet. They're, yeah. they're benets. Benet. I don't think I've tried benet. Beignets. Beignets. Yeah. Yeah. Those. And I think that they use the same similar stuff that fry bread uses. I, remember so that from that, yeah. I don't know. But it's sugar. Probably sugar? more. Sometimes I do or honey. Yeah. Okay. Honey sounds good on fry bread. It helps it brown. Yeah. Even so that's why I see that people use doesn't. sugar. is not for the sweetness of the bread, but it, it makes it browner. Yeah. That's what my mom t- told me. And I can, I'm pretty good at cooking fry bread, but. I, I don't like to cook it. Neither do I. You're a scientist because you, you understand that it makes it darker. Yep. Trial and error. Yeah. and that Or looks... you listen to your elders and they tell yeah, you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just do what you're told. <laughs> I'm Kootenai. We just We were told that's how it goes. You don't ask why. You just do it. So have either of you been to the windmill in Ravalli? Mm-hmm. That, those donuts? Me. Yeah. No. Those remind me of fry bread a lot. And I wonder if she uses the same ingredients. She has to use uh, some of them. She uses because she uses uh, beer in them to to make oh. them rise. And sometimes you can really taste it. Hmm. But she um, at one point she told me she had um, cold smoke donuts, and I was like, hmm, because it's a really um, dark ale, and so. I, I didn't buy those ones because I don't I don't like cold smoke. But um, but I asked her one time because I would bought some donuts and all I could taste was the alcohol. Huh. I've never asked. I guess. But I never yeah, asked you. You can you can like my mom will put uh, beer in pancakes once in a while because it makes them the yeast in the beer makes them fluffy. Beer. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Sometimes you just want your kids to be quiet. No. So you just give them some beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, what was those hot toddies? Yeah. Yeah. What's a hot toddy? 
Isn't it like what some, like in the old days where people used to, it's got like whiskey in there and they used to give them to like sick kids and make them go to sleep? Okay. Oh, like maybe some, uh, what's that? That fireball? Like a whiskey? Ghost. That cinnamon whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, now that we're on that topic, <laughs> do uh, we're away from fry bread. Yeah, talking fry about bread beer. and beer and whiskey. <laughs> adults took over. Just... Yeah. So, is does that seem like a it's a a problem or a challenge for you guys and your friends to either deal with or try to trying to stay away from alcohol or and, and that's a touchy subject and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Actually, in my MIP classes, um, Renee Running Rabbit, she's talking to me about, like, alcohol substances and FAC, um, fetal alcohol um, syndrome. Um, A lot of babies, when they're born, they go through withdrawals and they have shakes and constant crying. And when they're crying and shaking, it means they're in a lot of pain because of the alcohol and the withdrawals that they're going through. And you're not supposed to touch them, but if you do, then it causes, like, stress on the brain. And um, They need someone to, like, bond with, but the parent isn't really someone you should go to at first because, like, they could be going with, uh, they could be going through withdrawals also. Like someone clean in the family or just someone to foster them through the period time. And a lot of my friends or a lot of my old friends, they drink and it's kind of why I lost them. I don't really hang out with anyone anymore. Layton's like my my best friend. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. That's really tough. Even for adults to choose which people you want in your life. But it's really, really important. And I give you a lot of respect for that because I know when I was a teenager, basically my whole life was about my friends. And true, one way or another, it was about friends. You want spending more time with them or like dealing with the drama of friends. And if you have crappy friends, it just makes your life a whole lot more miserable. So props to to you because... A lot of young people don't take that seriously, I think. Is that something you see a lot of, uh, friends just sticking together just because they're friends and not actually taking care of themselves or their family? Well, most friends around here, because it's a small town and nobody really talks to people except the people that they grew up with. Or no. They have, like, their own cliques, like... The weird res gangs (laughs) and, like, the cool people that are actually nice and willing to listen to, like, other people and, like, to what they have to say. And they go to, like, social events and, like, do cool stuff like this, like a podcast. Can you try to speak right into the mic? Yes. I know it it sounds good to us on our headphones, (laughs) but to the listeners, it might sound a little, like, I'm way too loud. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> it's so sad. So, so one of the things, um, one of the things that I've always done is is um, take my kids to certain events because I believe that gives them a better chance to 
feel like their life is fulfilling rather than um, rather than running around and and hanging out with their teenage friends that you know can easily convince them let's go get drunk or or um, you want to try this and smoke and different things and so I plan things with my kids every summer like this weekend Leighton and I are going to a country festival Anthony's not going. No, Anthony, <laughs> Anthony doesn't like country <laughs> music. <go. laughs> but I mean, like, um, is, he, is he not going to come with us at all? Is he going to stay home? We're not sure yet. So um, about a week Check. and a half ago, I pretty much forced my kids to um, come zip lining with me. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Um, nice. You had to force them? Well, my daughter doesn't like to leave the house. Oh. And so it He's was, lazy. It was like... Nope, get up, you're coming. And so my daughter kind of struggles while she's got bipolar disorder. And she's um, she just has social anxiety really bad. But um, anytime we want to do anything, it's like, well, my friends have to come. So going back to what you said, you know, as a teenager, your friends are everything. And for the most part, I've kind of accommodated that. My My kids are, you know, like usually can somebody else come? And it's like, I don't really have much money, but I guess so, you know, just make it happen somehow. It's mostly Anthony, though. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. With he's, Adrian? He's true. He's he's right on that. Um, Leighton kind of has to be my partner because my daughter struggles with her mental illnesses. And so I kind of give her a little, like, a cushion, and so lately I've been kind of pulling that cushion from under her. And so I had them come zip lining with me. Um, and when we were, and when we were doing it, you could just see my daughter's face. And I knew Leighton would love it. He just, he's, he's outgoing and he likes to try new things. But for, as a parent, those are the types of things that I do with my kids to try and keep them away from that. And, Every once in a while, I'll contact Heather and say, you want to come with us? We're going to go float the river or, you know, do something like that just to try and keep them keep them doing something other than drinking or out there doing doing drugs. I see the video. <laughs> Is my brother going down? And where was this? Was this like out? So we're, you know where House of Mystery you? is? Oh, it's okay. right next yeah. to it. I've seen people like that did that. I did it in Vegas, actually. I did the old strip. It was fun. That that sounds really fun. So we went. My friend and I went to Dallas in May, the first weekend of May, and I booked us um, um, zip lining in this. And it's like a. I don't even know how to explain their forest. It had um, leafy trees, and mm-hmm. you know, so but um, she's afraid of heights. But she was so set that she would be able to do it. And it was like a ropes course and then the zip line. And she did the ropes course fine. And we got to the zip line and she totally just froze. And she couldn't do it. And at one point the woman was like, I'm going to push her. And so I was like, nope. Because I just, like, I, I got her to sit down thinking, you know, just get comfortable there and then you can go. 
But um, she was like, I can't do this. And she was standing up and I went to grab her shoulders to try and convince her to sit back down. And she almost lost it. And I was like, I would never push you off. I, mm-hmm. I've been pushed into doing things that I wasn't ready to. And, and it's the scariest, most awful feeling ever. So I would never right. do that to anybody. But um, we did. I did the one zip line there and I just I didn't get enough. That's why I convinced my kids to that they had to again. come with me. You had an experience where you were pushed, right? And you regret it because you wish that you would have made the decision? Yeah. So it wasn't ziplining. I, what I did is I jumped off of a building. And it's the tallest building in New Zealand. And uh, they have this thing where you pay some money and you get to go to the very top of the building. And you jump off. And it's an 11-second free fall. Until they sl- and then they slow you down at the last minute. And what I, I was getting ready, but maybe she could tell that I was hesitating or something because I was holding onto the wires. But that's what they told you to do is to just hold on and then you could let go. But what happened was I was hesitating a little bit and she was holding onto the wires on the back of my back and then she just pushed me. <laughs> and so I didn't get the opportunity to jump. So I was pushed off and it was awesome. And I fell for 11 seconds and it's crazy rush and but it almost ruined heights for me because now every time i'm up on something high i get that same feeling of what it was like when you're falling and at first there's not it almost feels like there's nothing you're just floating until you start to speed up and then you you get going faster and faster and it happens really fast and that 11 seconds seems like it takes forever but it's cool and i highly recommend people to go jump off a building once in your life if you can do it a bungee, bungee jump, jump no or... i was going to say bungee jumping is way more way more dangerous because it has that rebound what i did was i was attached to a giant cable which they had a huge spool at the very top and then so i jump off and then right maybe like 50 feet from the ground they slow you down pretty much like zip lining but like with the brake yeah yeah, I would, I would, I would be so afraid it would break. <laughs> yeah, and I was super afraid. I was going to ask you, um, did it kind of confuse you standing there? Like, like make you feel like this is kind of suicidal? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it totally is. And that's oh I, pro- probably why I was hesitating a little bit naturally, I think. And I made the mistake of not going twice. I should have did it a second time because I think going once kind of messed me up in my head <laughs> and now every time i'm up on like a cliff or in a high building i have that same sensation in my body as what it was when i was falling and even when i watch people climb high things in movies and stuff i get that same feeling in my body whereas i'd never had that before so i should have went twice and if i go or when i go back to new zealand i'm definitely gonna go multiple times would you guys do that yes Dude, I went cliff jumping this weekend when we went um, camping. Um, I was really hesitant on the first time I went. But then after that, um, like, I didn't really get pushed, but I was, like, forced to. Because where we, where we went down to jump, you had to, like, go down this steep-ass part to, like, a little ledge. And you can't really crawl back up because it's all just moss and stuff. So um, I, like, jumped, and it was really fun. But I was really scared. They were up in the yak this weekend camping. Oh, nice. I love it up there. So when you, what would you say was the, was the worst part before or during the jump? Um, I would obviously before because when I was jumping, um, it was actually really fun. Um, 
I did hurt my feet once when I slapped the water. And I slapped my thigh. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, like, jumped down and, like, my leg popped up when I hit the water. And I, like, slapped right here. Slap. Big slap. Hmm. That's a really, really good lesson for about fear and how it stops people from doing things. Sometimes it's uh, it makes sense from jumping off cliffs, right? It, you know, that's a, usually a good thing. Or from not walking up and petting a lion. That's another good thing. But sometimes... <laughs> or trying to get close to a buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, but... Uh, but the weird thing about modern life, though, is oftentimes our fear will stop us from doing things that we really shouldn't be afraid of. And I know for young men, often we'll be a, like we'll be into some girl and we won't go and say hi just because we're afraid. And maybe that girl also has a crush on you, but you don't go say hi because you're afraid. Have you ever had that happen? Um, yes. Yeah. Is it pretty frequent? I know I did that all the time. Um, it was like twice yeah so what about and, you heather many no. times <laughs> kind of <laughs> i don't know every time you see them. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> i was getting nervous oh oh that scared me <laughs> so do you think it's different for for boys versus what the experience is for girls when it comes to walking up and talking to someone that you're you got a crush on What is that one word? I can't remember what that word is called. Um, it's kind of like I don't even know. How Exciting to but nerve wracking. Yeah, like, like jumping off a cliff. Feeling. Yeah, like you get that rush in your stomach. Like you know when you're going down a road and there's like a small hill and like you get butterflies going down. I hate that. It's just like like, like ah. That's, that's kind of how it feels to talk to someone you like and you're interested in or you have like and you like were interested in that's kind of how it is to like rebound and talk to them like if you see them one day you say hi you kind of think about it all day and then the next day you see them again and you want like it makes you want to talk to them more because of like how much of an exciting rush that is I guess. So do you guys think it's easier for you guys because you guys have technology and a lot of your conversations yeah. happen through text? <laughs> I don't, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about text. Yeah, we're talking to that. Oh, I, I sat through a, a workshop one time and it was talking about the five generations in the workplace. And it was talking about how their generation can multitask like no other generation. And it made sense to me because at one point I was... I was correcting my daughter about something and she was still on her phone. And to me, it was really disrespectful. But um, and I finally said, put your phone down. And she said, I'm paying attention to you. But she still wasn't making eye contact with me. Oh and I, so I told her, what did I just say? And she repeated it verbatim. And <laughs> I was looking at her like, damn. I can't say nothing because she got me, but I ended up taking her phone away because I told her to me that's disrespectful, mm. but yeah. that's just the difference in our generation. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a fast technology change. It's been, I remember 
when I was like 20 years ago, we didn't have phones. We didn't really have internet. Now, just within that, we have all this technology advances. And it always kind of makes me wonder then like how the next generation will be or kind of. So I, so I have a question. Do you think the technology we have now is hindering or interfering with your own cultural identity? Yes. So do you think that plays a large part in suicide on um, reservations? Yes, because like cyberbullying and stuff. Mm. Yeah, and it's like you can't get away from it either. Yeah, like... It's it's in your pocket <clears throat> versus just being at school. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, it's different between young men versus young women? Just from your experience? This, yeah. Between cyberbullying and... Yeah, like... I don't know how to say it, but I guess women can get, like, body shamed pretty much. And same same can men, but, like, I keep on hearing a dial tone. It's scaring me. <laughs> oh, yeah, these are thin walls. I'm scared now. It was weird. <laughs> body shaming. <clears throat> do you yeah. deal with that kind of stuff, Heather? Like, do do you feel like you get bullied? I have a lot of social anxiety, like when I go into public or like I go at like I go at school, <laughs> I go into school, like when people look at me for even like a second, I feel like they're judging, just barely making eye contact. I feel like they're thinking bad things on me, so I just kind of shrug it off, and I kind of think about it all day because I'm not really the type of person to like be confident in public but when i'm by myself i'm like oh hey i'm really pretty <laughs> i'll look in the mirror i'll be like snaz <laughs> <Just snazz. laughs> you are very starts. beautiful inside and out but um so when you when you feel people are judging you do you think it's possibly like how you look at yourself yeah i look at myself like i'm there's some days where I think I'm just not enough, and there's some days where I think I'm, like, all that. <laughs> and there's, like, a lot of pretty girls that I see. They have, like, really pretty eyes, like, a cute smile, like, cute noses, like, really good hair. And, like, it makes me, like, jealous and feel like I have to shrink up and be, like, not seen. And just seeing other people like that make me feel less body confident because growing up my mom said like if you don't like your body then how can you change that and I always think about that like I always think how can I change that there's there's a lot of ways but I just don't have like the potential to think about it because there's a lot of judgmental people out there who only like you for your body and only your body. They don't really get the chance to know you. And personality confidence is the best kind of confidence because you feel like it's really like brightening. Like when someone sees you and they smile at you, it makes you feel like you're glowing. Like makes you feel light and you think about that person all day because they smiled at you and you. And seeing someone 
smile just by looking at you. It's like kind of another type of happiness. It's like almost energizing. What so, if it's uh, what if what if it's somebody that you don't like smiling at you? Well, then I think it's weird because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some a lot of people I don't really like because of the negative energy that they give off. They say bad things about you, and when they finally turn around and decide to like you after something you did to them, like I'm really nice and. I don't like being mean to people because I'm just not that type of person to get up, give off negative energy to like people who I think are like bad or like gross. Like if people decide to not like you, then that's on them. If they like you, then great. Like another person to worship. Like, hey, I want to be their friend. And if you see someone you don't like, it's just kind of a weird feeling if they look at you in a way that nobody else really does Hmm. yeah especially i know that the this is something that i've experienced with women in my life where so they will put up with things from me and whereas another guy that they don't like they he does the exact same things but they're like oh that's so creepy why did why would he do that I'm like, I literally just did the same thing. <laughs> and I think there's something to be said about that. How we perceive the world has a lot to do with how we're taking it in and what it actually does in our bodies and in our minds. And I think you touched on it a lot when you said um, that uh, when, you, when you're talking about going out in the world or you're at school and you, you feel a lot of anxiety, right? And you're feeling like people are judging you. And very likely people are. That's just kind of how people are. But what's interesting is maybe that weird look that you got was like, wow, she looks really good today. And they, they're like, how come I can't look that good? <laughs> so it's and that might be just as true as like, oh, wow, she looks weird. Why, why does she do that? So <laughs> there's no way to know unless you go and ask, hey, what are you thinking? And but that's, that's the weird. Kind of person yeah, I am. it's kind of. <laughs> and yeah, you could do that. I'm like, what are you looking at me like that for? Exactly. And then people kind of, oh, um, and, and then they'll explain oh. themselves. You know, they get kind of nervous, and they're like, oh, I was just, I, I noticed this about you, and I'm like, oh, okay, and then I'll end up talking with them. But yeah. it took me a long time to get there. Like when I was your age, I was so awkward and so uncomfortable with myself. And I think that for women, I think it just comes with, with time. Well, actually men too, but I think it takes a lot longer for women to, to get comfortable. I was just, I was watching a TED talk last night on perception and it's crazy when I was listening to Heather talk, I was sitting there thinking about, um, this guy was talking about the Euro train, how they spent all of this money to speed it up like (laughs) A few minutes mm-hmm. and and what he, what the guy said was for two percent of the cost or some I, it was a really low percentage they could have added wi-fi to the train and nobody wouldn't even would have even minded but um and for 10 percent and his his 
mentality was so funny because he said, and for ten percent he could have paid. They could have paid all the models in the world to just walk up and down the trains, <laughs> and people would have asked for it to be a longer train ride. But it, it's like um, those perceptions in life that we, you know, like um, the other part was um, one of the Oriental uh, places had added like the stoplights they'd added like a timer so the the very outer ring of the stoplight was like a timer that would break down like how much longer you you had to sit at a stoplight and it decreased accidents and i was sitting there like that is so neat because people get so impatient but he said that tokyo had tried the other part of it where the the red light had a, a timer on it and it caused more, or a green light, but it caused more accidents because people were trying to speed through. Mm. That makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Heather. So I, I like this dynamic you guys got going where you're passing the phone back and forth. And, <laughs> and uh, that's, I, it's, I think there's a lot of stereotypes about teenagers. And I think that might be one of them is you're always on your phones. Oh, is that true? Talking about dumb things. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's not about what you're talking about. But do you, what do you think is that true? A, a stereotype that's true? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what I know there's there's been, there's some research that I've come across that talks about how addictive phones are, and that they not only that, but they actually design them with that in mind. They know they're addictive, and they try to make them more addictive. Which is interesting that we just give these, we're like handing them out like candy to little kids. Like, here you go. There's some more. Uh, it's almost like handing out a bunch of Coke to all these kids and saying, have fun. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and we, and we don't tell them how to help, help try to figure out how to use it or anything. So in, in your experience at school, do you think that cell phones interfere with your education? And, and then just that, your, your levels of anxiety and other things? Um, sometimes it can actually really help, like using... But like the web, just to like search up parts for like pro- projects. <laughs> but sometimes it can also be really. De- it depends how you really use a phone. Like some people just use it for like. Can you come a little closer to the mic? My bad. Um, sometimes people just use it really use it just for um, like to talk to people because like either have social anxiety and can't really talk in person. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> I don't know what to say now. I spaced out. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Yeah, I same. get it though. Like, like it's an easy distraction when you have social anxiety to grab your phone and then she can talk to you even though you guys are sitting right next to each other. You guys can use the phone to talk as kind of like a distraction to kind of calm her. That's smart. <laughs> Good way to see it. I, I I get frustrated because um, I think it was like around January, I finally put TVs in my kids' bedrooms, um, and I never see them anymore. Well, Layton comes out to bug me about what's to eat, but... I, I'm like almost always out there. <laughs> but, I'm on my phone. Um, but all it's done for me is made me more addicted to technology, I guess you'd say, because 
I no longer have my kids to talk to. And Anthony wasn't really ever out in the living room too much. She she has points where she comes out and um, she'll visit with us. Or if if I tell her to come fold clothes or do dishes, she'll come out to fight with me. But um, but Leighton's usually always been there to visit with, and and so I find myself on my phone a lot these days. And and I downloaded a game. Worst thing I could have ever done. <laughs> yeah, every time I start talking, you're like, "Hold up, I'm playing my game." I'm like, "Dang." It's one that doesn't pause. Oh, so you have to finish it. And you're always yeah. cussing me up to pause my game. <laughs> Get out here and do them dishes. I'm like, uh, like, that's how my mom is with like Candy Crush. And she was like, hold on, I got to get this last one. And then tries like five more. And she's like, okay, now what? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> we, um, My sister and I actually had a conversation uh, when our community was hit pretty hard with suicide. Um, we started talking about, you know, um, talking about like the last time we seen my nephew and, you know, kind of just trying to figure out what the hell happened. But, um, we were kind of visiting and she said, well, why aren't these kids talking to us? You know, he sat in that car and he was staring at me and I kept trying to wave him in, but he never did. You know, he just, he looks so sad and, and, um, it was kind of, it was kind of like one of those, you know, those thoughts that pop into your head. And I told her, if you think about it, when, when our kids were younger, you know, and we would sit around at the table and talk and, and, um, just like me and my sisters and, and the people we grew up with and Elmo, the women, and and I said there were there were certain times like when we would just be visiting and having fun and then our kids would start kind of bugging and you think about it, what was the first thing people did? And she was like, I don't know what and I said, hand the phone to him mm-hmm. as a babysitter and I said and then now we're like, Get off your phone, you know, we taught them that mm-hmm. and I said, I don't think I really did that very often because Leighton's always pretty much demanded attention yeah <laughs> from the time he was conceived I, it was a rough pregnancy conceived but um smart people words <laughs> <laughs> but it was just it's we taught our kids to have their face in a phone mm-hmm. and now we're mad because they don't want to look at us but it, and it kind of goes back to you know like um, that young parenting you know and not creating bonds with our kids. Um, and, and the reason I say Leighton demands attention is after I had him, I had postpartum really bad and he would cry constantly, which only like spiked my, my impatience levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only thing that ever got me through it was yoga. You did yoga? Yes. It was the only Gross. thing <laughs> like I to calm myself down well that and then i kicked my sister out of my house because i realized she was holding him all day long oh. and i'm just i'm not one of those moms that that sits there and oh look at the cute little baby i'm like craig i got things to do i've got this and this and this you know so with my daughter it was easy because i could put her in her wrap and and leave her in the middle of the floor what is she, she a would, burrito <laughs> it, yeah <laughs> but um 
she would she was mm-hmm. content but with Leighton it was like like his back was broke or something because anytime you laid him down he'd freak out damn bro I got crippled <laughs> but I think it was that that disconnect from me having postpartum and mm-hmm. that that you know what is postpartum that. depression it's, oh it's, why did you just say that it's something that women go through can go through after after they have a child and i'm not sure what really causes it i think it's something except to do with for like, your dad I yeah <laughs> like a release of hormones or something yeah, that ends up happening thinking. yeah because my one one of my sisters is every time she has a boy she's a lot of testosterone that ends up leaving her after that that the boy is born and uh, even when she's has been pregnant and she's heightened uh and uh, she gets a little aggressive, you know. She, she definitely <laughs> says what's on her mind. Uh, so it definitely changes. Um, but I was different. My my parents were extremely old when they had me. My dad was forty five. My mom was thirty four ish. So I had the different. I, and so that's what we were just talking about earlier: is um, understanding how parents play a role in younger kids, especially when it comes to suicide awareness. Because I think that. As adults, we tend to think we know what's going on, but I think generations are changing so fast. So that's one of the things that I want to ask you too, is how can adults then help you as teens with suicide awareness, suicide prevention, and kind of helping indigenous kids with that? That's a good question. I don't know. Well, two years ago when my dad passed away in October... There were, like, my dad was, like, my bestest friend ever. Like, I was the apple of his eye. He was mine. We used to go everywhere with each other. Like, we used to laugh and joke and and even cry together, which was, like, so weird. Her dad was a big teddy bear. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, a year later... I began to develop a really bad, deep depression where I just wanted to sleep all the time and, like, hoping that sleep would drown out everyone. And, like, for some reason, I find dreams, like, therapeutic in a way because you see people you don't know, but their faces you recognize. And it's kind of comforting in a way because they're people that are there but aren't there physically. And just to have something mentally there to, like, comfort you feels good. I used to self-harm. I have a lot of scars, actually. I'm five months clean from self-harm, which I'm very proud of myself, actually. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Proud of you, too. And lately there's just a void between my mom and I. We used to be really close. Now, I feel as... have, like... We have a distance. I don't really come to her to talk to her anymore because I know what she's going through with her boyfriend and, like, her kids. There's a lot of things she has to deal with, so I just leave her to that. I just let her be... In, I don't bug her as much as I used to because I'm afraid that if I do too much, she she has really high anxiety and 
stuff with like constant talking and like just too many people talking at once or too many people around her. Like the max she can handle is three, but she has like four kids. <laughs> and with my dad, he really helped with all that because he was a really talkative person. Like he would talk to anyone. He would make friends in one day and call them his bro. <laughs> like he wouldn't even know them that much. Like, yeah, that's my new best friend. I'm like, okay, you just met him like two minutes ago talking about a truck. <coughs> mood and yeah I'm still going through that deep depression but like being able to talk about it now with like you guys is like kind of a very nice feeling cause that's not something I get to do every day I feel like it's just bottled up and talking with my therapist Cecilia she It's kind of weird. She doesn't really help, even though she's a therapist and she's had training. Like, you two are some people that I've known for a while. And to be able to actually release how I feel and being able to talk, like letting out my emotions, that's a good release. And I'm very glad I get to do that with people I love. Hmm. I think that's really important to be able to just talk. So, um, you said that you're, you're kind of scared to talk with your mom. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of it is because you don't know how to say, mom, I need you? Yeah. One of the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the past, like, like three years is to allow myself to be vulnerable. And it's hard because as Indian women, we're always taught you have to be strong. You're the backbone of your family, you know, to stand up and, and just be there. And um, a lot of times I felt like we're kind of robbed of our own grieving process, you know, and, and one of the things that, kind of opened my eyes to that that need to to learn how to be human was um my daughter's first suicide attempt and she told me everybody expects me to be so strong and I said who whoever told you you had to be strong you're just a kid don't don't feel that way and she said everybody because you're my mom and grandma's my grandma. Everybody just expects me to be strong like you guys. And I said, I don't even think I'm that strong. I'm the biggest ball baby. And she kind of looked at me funny. And I was, you know, like, I was trying to explain to her how I feel on the inside. But without realizing, I've never really shown my kids that that side of me. Like, after I divorced their dad, I... I took like two showers a day because that's where I went to cry so that my kids wouldn't have to see it and they wouldn't know that things were not right in my head and, you know. But um, I guess what she said to me was, Mom, I've seen you lose your shit one time in my life. 
And I kind of like, what? And she said, and that was when Auntie Zanetta died. And and my first thought was, man, I should have never had my kids there. I don't know why I brought them there, you know? And then I, and I caught myself thinking that way. And I thought, she just told you for the first time in her life, she's seen you as human and you're already regretting that. And, and it, it kind of opened my eyes to like, dang, Selena, something needs to change. You, the way, the way that you portray yourself to your kids needs to change. And so I started kind of, um, trying to figure out what it was that I needed to be and learning more about being vulnerable, I guess, is, is what it took. And I, I grew up with Heather's mom and, and her dad, my grandma actually took care of her dad for a while. But, um, I think as Indian women, because we have so many roles to play every day, we're a mom, we're an employee, we're, a daughter and you know and and we have all these roles like we go about our day and we don't even realize them but um our kids get the short end because they see us doing everything that we do on a daily basis and then they think I don't want to bug my mom and and I feel bad like I wished the stuff that I'm learning now I wished my kids were like baby still because I would I would probably raise them a hell of a lot differently if if I knew what I know now and I know everybody says that at least once in their lifetime but it, it's teaching me to be a little bit more calm where I'm not like freaking out and you guys get th get this and, and like I always tell people I, I didn't wear white for like three years because I can't stand dirty and Ooh. Layton was always the kid with chocolate and sticky <laughs> on his hands. Like John and, and Jerome. <laughs> yeah. And he'd come up and grab my legs, you know, like to pick him up. And and I would immediately be dirty. And so it was just like, you know, like as, as moms, we get stuck in that like, oh, man, I just want my life back. You know, because after you care for a baby and breastfeed for a year, year and a half, whatever it is. You just, there's, you know, like, where's the end site? And now that my kids are 17 and almost 15, I'm, I'm like, dang, time, slow down. I need, I need to do more with my kids. I didn't get to do everything I, I wanted to do. But I think um, my daughter has this little signal to me, and I don't even know where it started from, but she will come over and put her finger towards me and she, all she wants is for me to touch my finger to hers and, <laughs> and that's that's good mm. enough for her and and I don't know where she ever got that and or how from, she trained uh, ET? how she trained me to do do it back but sometimes she'll just like if if she's not comfortable in a room she'll just reach over and put her finger out and it's just that little touch so well, yeah, uh, my mom had a uh, like a mole on her arm. And so that was my comfort since I was I don't I can never remember her having not having that. And so about four or five years ago, she got it removed. 
And so there's nothing there now, but I still know where it was and I'll still sit there and I'll still rub that one little spot whenever I need a little bit of comfort and she'll just let me do it. She finds it really annoying, but she'll just sit there and let me do it. And so I just think that, yeah, so you, you get these little coping mechanisms that, that just like kind of calm you down and then you're ready to go about your day. Mine was, you know, how the, the flat, the fat on the back of your, on a woman's arms, my grandma's was really soft. And so when I was younger, I would crawl in bed with her and I would do that. And so the morning that she died, she told me to go home before. <laughs> she told me to go home and take care of my kids. And I was like, Grandma, I don't want to. But I laid down with her and that's that immediately where I grabbed onto. It, you know, it was just like I had to get that in at least because that was my comfort with my grandma. I don't mm. think I have one with my mom. <laughs> Grandma's got the best arm. What, what's that called? called arm like fat? Ch- arm? Like turkey? Turkey wings? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just call it fat. Yeah. My grandma would, used to let me play with her belly fat and same with my mom. Until I got to a certain age, then it got weird. But, <laughs> but Just all freaky yeah. looking at it. <laughs> And so, I guess that was mine. So their bellies. I'd play with their bellies. But that's that's really interesting. And I've noticed. I noticed earlier you said Layton. Isn't it Layton? No, it's Layton. Layton. He says Layton. Layton. His old Rez accent. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> My voice has been changing a lot. It's really weird. Like it was, puberty. I know, but it was really deep. Like two days ago, it was really deep. <laughs> yeah, but it was like that. I was like, hi. I was like. <laughs> do you so do you like do you like it do you like getting a deeper voice or is it no my voice is already deeper and, and then now it's just like getting high pitched again i'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> what's your coping mechanisms um i think when i was younger i held like two fingers of yours and when i'm stressed out i go like that and just hold my hand like that hmm. it's really weird so i told him this story uh, my grandma used to always tease me about my man hands. You. And, <laughs> and so that's what they're always like, oh, mom and her man hands. So about a month before my grandma went in the hospital, she told me to um, clip her nails. And I'd never, I'd never done that before, not with my grandma. So I told her, I'll just get a file and do it. And as I was filing her nails, I realized I had her hands. And I told her, Grandma, you're a jerk. And she goes, what? And she was laying in bed at the time. And I said, all my life, you made me so self-conscious about my hands, like to the point where I sleep with my hands tucked under my under my body because I've always been embarrassed about how big my hands are. You didn't want anybody seeing yeah. them while you're sleeping? People tease me about my feet because they're so big. But um, <laughs> That's the weirdest thing to be. <laughs> but um, when I told her that, she said, well, yeah. I, I knew you were. I knew your hands were meant for work, so that's why I told you that. I, it was like, for her, it was a good thing, and for me, it just made me really self conscious. Hmm. So did you say, Grandma? I got your man hands. What the heck? Well, and the craziest thing was, um, like the last day that my sister was really coherent, she passed away of colon cancer. But we were sitting on the chair. And we were holding hands, talking. And I noticed my sister had the same hands, too. 
And I, so I asked her, like, did grandma ever make fun of you? And she was, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she liked you more, so she had to give you more shit. Oh, I think my sister Zanetta was my grandma's favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I've always liked my hands, but they're really long, and I got these really giant fingers. <laughs> they look like Area 51 hands. Yep. <laughs> and I, you know what? When I was a little kid... For about two or three years, I believed I was an alien. What the and I was really, I really brainwashed myself into really believing in that. But I also thought I was a robot too at some point, so I wouldn't take that too seriously. <laughs> so the this is something that I think is really important that I don't think a lot of people talk about is the role. Just kind of making that connection between fry bread and suicide prevention is the role that diet plays in our mental health. And I know in my own life, when I'm eating crappy, I start thinking crappy. And it makes it really hard to just get up and have energy to do do stuff. I know if I eat like a bunch of chips and soda and ice cream, the next day I feel almost like I got a hangover. Is that something that in school or in your guys' friend groups, do you see a role or a connection there between the way your friends eat or the way you eat and their mental health? I I used to not eat at all, but now at all. How yeah. how'd you make that happen? I don't know. It was just. Or, or have you ever heard of those people that live off of air? <laughs> no. <laughs> is that is that what you're doing? <laughs> um, I don't know. I used to just drink a lot of water because food was kind of gross. I don't know. It just had. I used to be so disgusted by food because of like what it was made out of, and. If anyone mentions hot dogs, like, I always think of, like, the process of making them. And it's, like, so disgusting. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but ever since then, like, I never really liked food because of hot dogs and chicken. Like, what's wrong with chicken, That's exactly what I was thinking of when she was talking. Chicken just. Especially chicken nuggets. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't know what part they're made out of, like. McDonald's chicken nuggets are like all the same shape. It's only three shapes, and they're like it's natural. Like no, it's it's not. Like look at them. Like that's disgusting. I always visualize with both of them, hot dogs and chicken nuggets, like then just this gigantic factory line, and you know those little those those things they use to squeeze frosting on cakes. That's what I visualize is just kind of. <laughs> and they're and they're squeezing it out onto the conveyor belt, and then they go through an oven, and then you get chicken nuggets, Gross. and some kind of weird pink meat or whatever it is, or whatever color it is. I'm not sure if it's pink or not. I was once told that um, hot dogs were originally made with the intestines. Oh yeah, and especially mm-hmm. in Germany, they still do that. Yeah, and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely <laughs> still use. Yeah, I know. It gets worse. Like, I, the older you get, the more you find out. <laughs> so. I know YouTube ruined a lot of food for me, I think. Oh, my God. My dad used to watch a lot of videos like that. He's like, what is hot dogs made out of? And, like, he'd sit there and watch it for hours just. And then he'd tease us about it. Like, oh, this is what it's made out of. It comes out of a butthole. And I'm like, no. I ruined it, man. Somebody. That's a visual that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably doesn't line up with how they're actually made, but when you hear that, you immediately visualize something. And it's not good. Yeah. One of the students this last spring told me that Jello was made 
from gelatin. Yeah. No, like the the. They don't eat it because they're a vegetarian and it's made from like chicken, something with the chicken. And I was like, Yeah, gelatin is made out of animal parts. So the stuff that makes it firm and stay together is gelatin. (laughs) So yeah, gelatin is not vegan friendly or vegetarian friendly. And then I can't remember what the other thing was, but um, I'm with you. If If I eat crappy like I have this last month, I don't want to do anything. I just sit in my chair and watch TV and I'm not even, I, I've never really been a TV watcher until we got Netflix. And so like my whole habits have changed. Like I sit at home and watch TV where normally I'm like, let's go do something. Let's go to Spokane. Let's, let's run over I've here. Wanted, I want to go to Spokane. And you're like, no, no, no. I'm like, mm. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a new special on Netflix. <laughs> I got old on him really quick. And it's weird because there's uh you you come across you'll see advertisements on Facebook. These are the new specials that you should be watching on Netflix. So there's, there's all this subliminal messaging going on, and uh, there are so many distractions in modern life that if we're not like really paying attention to our own habits, your life can go to shit real quick. Yeah, damn. And that's like our house is a mess. And I'm sitting here thinking, I only have a week and a half left of my vacation. And I haven't even cleaned my house yet. Like, I was looking under my bed this morning and I was like, oh my God, I need to clean my bedroom. Because Leighton's a pack rat. (laughs) (laughs) He's bad and he loves snack food. He likes, like there's empty chip bags under there. Mom, please don't. Put him on blast. You know what? I always, I always justified it to, to my mom that hey, I'm a scientist. I'm doing an experiment. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to grow something here. That's awful. That never worked though. So I had to clean it up anyway. Yeah, we were gonna clean, um, clean the house. What three weeks ago now? No, and it's still not done. I sat at, on my chair yesterday and ate six popsicles. <laughs> Just eating. It was hot yesterday. Though. <laughs> it was. Yo, ma. <laughs> Can we go swimming after this? No, oh, come on. Please. Let's let's do what Ooh, we're the doing. classic the classic argument. Please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, since you said please, I have TV shows to watch. <laughs> phone. Yeah, there's a new Netflix special. Right? <laughs> I have nothing to watch on Netflix. I finished Shameless. And it's like Ooh, that show is so hardcore. Oh, I hate that. I, know, wow. I hate the Gallagher's. The, the parents. <laughs> oh my god! How could you be so dysfunctional? But Frank is—he's such a good guy. How could you <laughs> hate he the Gallagher's? He always does something like accomplished, and like Monica is like always running away and stuff. It's like, dang, dang. Oh, it's, I've seen one episode. And they like, could easily be a Res family. Well, that's oh my that's God. what people tell me is like I should watch it because like the dynamics are like they're like, hey, that reminds me of my family right now, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh God. I think, I think that's why I get so frustrated with them. Yeah. Like these kids hustle, like they do everything they can to to pay the bills of their house, and and like the older sister when it first started was like 18 years old, and. They do all this work to to pay the rent, and, or not the rent, but like the water bill and, you know, all the utilities and things. 
and then their parents come in and screw everything up. But it, it and then they all turn in as as the show goes on. You you watch them transforming into that dysfunction, like like they end up screwing people over. They yeah, they, they start doing the same thing Frank yeah. does. They they start following in their in their parents' footsteps, and it's like, dang, I thought they actually had a chance because they were so removed. Their parents were off running and doing whatever, and and yeah, and and I. So th- that reminds Sorry. me of uh, some things I hear a lot of people talk about white privilege, and I'm wondering. So where are the Gallagher's white? Where where is their white privilege at? And I think that that phrase, that saying, is oversimplifying a very complicated issue about poverty and culture and social issues where some white people have it just as hard, if not worse. I've heard some of these white folks that grew up in the ghetto Mm -hmm. had it way worse than I did growing up. We have some here just on the reservation, you know. Yeah. Like, like, um, we'll open our freezer to, to people if they're having a hard time because we have... You know, dear me, and so if they, you know, having a hard time, well, here, take some of this, you know, that'll lessen up your grocery bill, Hmm. you know, and it's just, their white privilege, they were scamming a house that was their grandma's, they had a home, (laughs) Ah. you know, that's, that's how I look at it. Um, I watched a, a TED talk on poverty and, um... What was the other thing? Poverty, something, and love. And this woman talks about how she um, was so, like, discouraged. And I was telling Anthony last night, I said, that's how I felt when I took my families in poverty class. Like, the the cycle that we're in, you know, it, it just, it's almost never ending. And I told Anthony, I said, I'm really grateful that I was I was born into a, a, a middle income family, um, middle class, I guess, you know, because we were told the importance of an education and and shown a good work ethic. Um, we had different values than than other people. Um, we we got raised hell with in Elmo because of that, but uh, like the the lane where my family lives, they call it Snob Hill, and to me it's funny because I think, I, you know, that's my family. You can call them whatever you want, but at least we we function, maybe dysfunctionally functioning, but but we function. Um, but the woman was talking about how. She wanted to she wanted to make a change, and then the more she learned, the more she was discouraged and the more angry she got and then she just started like um giving like at the grocery store you know those those coin uh jars she would drop it in there, and then she realized she wasn't giving because she actually wanted to make a change. She was giving to make herself feel better. Like she wasn't, you know, she wasn't not doing anything. You know, that was, that was like, um, self-gratitude, I guess, to, to make her, to take her off the hook. And, mm. um, she said what changed is she went to this, 
this talk and and this guy started talking about these hundred dollar loans to um these people in in a foreign country and they were so grateful they didn't they didn't want a handout um they were already doing something like they had their um chickens or they had their um sewing machines set up you know alongside the road they had food trucks or whatever and they would grant them these hundred dollar loans and they would you know even if it was to buy sugar for the coffee that they served their visitors you know it was it was theirs to spend how they wanted and so that changed her mindset and so she quit her job and went and visited these people that were receiving the loans and started you know to get to know them and she said by being there directly with them and learning their stories it made her it it kind of um got her going again like this is what I want to do and I can't remember the company she started but now they're like 150 million dollars in loans because and it just started out she asked her friends and family for um money for these people and she said now now one of those people that she talked to where she could talk to 20 people a day not one of them ever asked her for a loan they were just grateful for what they had but by learning their stories she she wanted to help them and and so it was like um, hmm. There's a big difference between wanting to help and wanting to volunteer and feeling like you have to. Yeah. And I think responsibility can come in many different forms. And some people look at it as something like, oh, this is something I have to do versus something that this is my responsibility and this is something that I want to do because I accept it. And the the whole the vibe you get and the, the actual end product that you end up with is way different. Exactly. Um, you said that and it brought up um, cooking at wakes. Mm. Like there are times when I'm just like overwhelmed with life as it is. And my mom has finally learned, like if I tell her I don't want to, to just leave it at that. Because when she pushes, like, I really need your help. You need to come out and do this and this, you know, and it's like, Cleo, give me a break. And and she'll just, you know, like, sometimes she gets angry. Most of the time she just hangs up on me. But there are times when I have to tell her, I need a break. And and she's starting to understand now, like, dang, my girls drive all the way from Ronan out to Elmo. And, you know, it, it gets tiresome, you know. And especially when, like, you know, you have multiple deaths in a row. And you've been in the kitchen for so long, and it's like, ugh, I don't, I'm, I'm tired. I need a break, and but you know, and then it usually takes one of us getting sick or something, and then my mom's like, oh, my girls are down. <laughs> I got to take a break. Hmm, that's tough. How about you two? Is just th- speaking about the responsibility thing. Is that something you see teenagers or kids your age do? Is it something? How do you guys see that word or how do you perceive that word responsibility? Taking action for what you have to do and like what you have to like 
it's not really dealing with it, but it's like just kind of getting it done. Gotta <laughs> get her done. Yeah. Yeah. Mood. How about you, Layton? Pretty much same thing. Layton? Same thing? Yeah. How would you say it? Um, just, I don't know. Just like, yeah, do take responsibility of what needs to be done. Can you speak into the mic a little bit? Sorry, I'm just... I know, it's kind of a heavy topic. <laughs> Plus, you don't have your mom staring you down either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, talking about responsibility in front of your mom. We've interviewed both of our moms. Yeah. <laughs> That's originally how I heard you guys is is when you interviewed your mom. Yeah, she, she's she's great. She she was staring at me the whole time too, and I was just like, <laughs> I don't know the questions that I'm going to ask. And I, he left me just to be by myself to interview her, so I was just like, oh no, that'd be so it was very panicking. Yeah, it was very nerve wracking. Even though she's my mom, I was I wanted it to be a good one because I know that she, I know what she's capable of, and so I wanted other people to really know what she what her worth is. So I wanted it to be a good episode, but it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I and I also wasn't fourteen; I was twenty-eight, you know, and I had lived a lot of life. And my idea of responsibility is a lot different than what I had used to think that it was. I understand that now. I have a responsibility to myself to keep my well-being fine, but then a cultural responsibility, a family responsibility, a podcast responsibility, a school responsibility. There's a lot of responsibility that comes in and out of your life. Yeah, I know when I was younger, I looked at it as something like it was a burden. Like, oh, responsibility. God, I don't want to deal with that. Why do I want? Why would I ever want responsibility? It's just work. That's kind of the way I saw it. But I never realized that I really didn't have much responsibility when I was a kid. But this is something uh, I, I really like this saying you know on spider-man there's the uncle ben guy and oh, right yeah. before he dies he, he tells his little his nephew spider-man you know uh peter was it peter yeah you know peter, peter there's with great power comes great responsibility and he kind of just like yeah whatever ben <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and gets shot and then it's all sad but the opposite is also true and i think it's a lot more powerful of a saying that with great responsibility comes great power. And this is something that I learned in ceremony even, that that's where a lot of our power comes from, is upholding our responsibilities. And they really give us more strength, but they, it only works if you, is if you accept them. If you feel like it's a burden or like it's something you, you're being forced to do, then it, it drains you and it gets really tiring. But even when you accept your responsibilities, it still gets tiring. So there's that balance that you got to accept your responsibilities and step up to them and you'll get more powerful. You'll get stronger. And it takes time sometimes. But you got to balance that. Otherwise, you'll burn yourself out. So is there is there something that you two would maybe want to say to people about how you see responsibility maybe maybe a tip to if there's another teenager listening what uh what would you have to say to them about responsibility if responsibility is overwhelming just 
take time to think about it, but not too much time because responsibility isn't something you want to waste. It's um, some <laughs> something. Um, I like that. You don't want to waste it. Yeah, it's usually responsibility can be important. Usually it can be like something that you can brush off, but usually don't want to because sometimes it's important. Hmm. And if you waste it, then responsibility can take can, <laughs> sorry, can take time to come again. If like if you don't want to do it, then what's the point of if what's the point of even taking responsibility for something that you do? Like actions have consequences, and consequences can lead to problems, and you have to be responsible and overcome those problems, and take a minute to look at it and to just realize what you have to do that's responsible to realize things even if they're bad or good it's always um it's always great to look at it in a positive way even if it's like oh yeah a turtle just got shot like look at it in a good way like you can help that by preventing it and just having good thoughts, not negative. Because I feel like most people nowadays look at things in a bad way because it's them they have to deal with. And doing things by yourself is always, like, stressful. But when you have someone to help, like... Like, I help Layton, and he helps me. That's, like, it gives less weight off your shoulders and helps you breathe more light. Like, you know when you have that heavy feeling on your chest and you want to say something and you just can't get it out correctly because you don't want to say it wrong and get the bad intention on other people? Like, that's kind of how it is to have responsibility. You end up saying, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Wow, you sound way more mature than I was at your age. <laughs> I think, um, I think the things that the kids at Two Eagle go through, the issues that are put upon them, help them grow up really fast, which isn't always a good thing because we want our kids to stay young as long as they can. But um, these two are both just, they're almost done with eighth grade. Um, so still pretty young. And, um, but I think Heather's matured, had to mature and kind of forced her own <coughs> maturity because she was dealing with, you know, losing her dad. And I'm trying to keep Leighton a baby as long as he, as I can. <laughs> Why? Which means, because I don't want you to grow up too fast. Why not? It's not fun, huh? It's not fun. Because we want our kids to just stay cute. 
so he can keep hugging him and be like, oh, no, you're so bro, cute. I'm going to grow. <laughs> you like, can grow emotionally, physically. <laughs> you can grow all you want. But I still want you to to stay that sweet little boy that you've always been. Nah, bro, who's not? Oh, there's nothing worse that I remember my mom would say similar things. And I'd be like, oh, no, I can't. And I'd almost want to grow up faster when I'd hear my mom say that. And this is probably the second time I've told him this. Yeah. Um, just because I know how it is. Because I'm the baby out of the girls in, in my generation. And so I was, you know, like, like my sisters had a lot more responsibility than me because they had to take care of each other and me. Um, and then, like, when they got mean or... Um, just if I needed a break, I would go to my aunt and uncles and then I would get babied there. And when I got tired of it there, then I went to my grandma's and I would lay on the bed and hide shack and just kind of, you know, chill. So I had escape routes everywhere I went <laughs> and, and it was, um, like, like I, um, I, I kind of averted responsibility that way and I don't I don't truly think I grew up until I had my daughter and, and like when I when I found out I was pregnant I bawled my eyes out and I was like oh my god it's not all about me but mm. but I learned I learned that I had to grow up when I lost my best friend and what was said to me <laughs> his dad was standing there and he said he's giving you your chance to grow up and I was thinking you're such an ass and and he said you guys would have never allowed each other to grow up he's giving you your chance you should take it hmm. and and it I was so mad at him at that moment and mainly just because of the situation and about a year after that, something hit me and I was like, I know what he's talking about because our lives were driving across the country to go to a powwow. You know, it was, we had no real responsibilities. Like, I think I paid a car payment, but, you know, we, if we won, we continued on. Or if, even if we didn't, we'd find our way home and then... I'd get paid for my job and we'd take off again. And it was, I mean, that was, that was the moment I realized that I had to grow up and I was 22 at the time. So, Dang. I was still, I was still kind of a little shit kid when I was 22. I don't know. I don't know if I really accepted and got serious about responsibility till I was maybe 25, 26. Even then, though, it was a learning process, and it took a while before I started to recognize how beneficial it is and how good and stronger I got when I actually just stepped up and did the hard work. Because it's there's so much meaning to be found in hard work. And that's something I think a lot of young people, I think maybe a lot of young people like me, didn't want to face up to. But um, that gets me thinking, Leighton, uh, how... How do young men your age or some of your friends, how do they see responsibility? Um, <clears throat> honestly, 
I don't have that much male friends because the only male friends I got is actually my family. This is my oh my older cousin no my younger cousin Devin and Steven, and sometimes their brother Donald. But like, I don't think they're how they. I don't know how they see responsibility. Cause one was babied most of their life, and one was. I don't know how to say it. Doesn't doesn't really care about about it. Cause indifferent. Indifferent. Yeah. Why don't you? Why do you think he doesn't care? Because he was supposed to, um two days ago was it two days ago, two days ago um he was supposed to be at the lake swimming, and took off and gone do a wreck. Dang. Is he, he all right? Yeah, he's fine. But the car flipped twice, and his friend Charlie got ejected. Ooh. She got a couple broken, broken ribs, a broken shoulder, collarbone, and a concussion. I think. Wow. Yeah, but that. And Hopefully, he's taking a good lesson from that. Yeah, I think Grandma's I, pissed at him. I hope so because my mom's, my mom's calmed down since she raised us but she's still pretty you know <laughs> she's set pretty strict boundaries with all of us and for and when he says he just don't care that it that is kind of how it goes like um he'll he'll tell Leighton oh fight this guy and and I finally told Leighton stay the hell out of it if he does that, walk away because you don't need to be getting involved in stuff like that. If he don't know how to fight, that's his own problem. He shouldn't be starting fights with people. Hmm. But he he just, I don't think it's that he doesn't care. I just think he's kind of disconnected. They are um, my stepsister's kids and my mom's had them pretty much most of their lives. And so... Um, I, he just didn't get the abuse that we got to where we were scared. <laughs> and so, um, and, and my sister, my older sister kind of challenged my mom a lot. So I think it's just their personality types, like, like, um, ah, I'll deal with it later kind of thing. Let's, let's go have fun. I'll deal with it later. Huh, yeah, that gets me thinking of this psychologist I've been following for about a year now. His, his name is Jordan Peterson, and he's been very controversial in certain areas, mostly because of his opinions on the use of gender pronouns. Gender, gender. Yeah, pronouns. and is that something you you two are familiar with? The yeah. gender pronouns and how that's Our changing. Our older brothers. And... Yeah, mm -hmm. they're both born females. Okay. Well, I really like him not because of that, but because of his stance on responsibility and his stance on things like what happens <laughs> when we do certain things. But he, he has this cool test where he you can go online and take it and it helps you figure out your personality type. And people that rate high in conscientiousness typically score really low on openness. And I might be getting that a little bit mixed up, but the, the the point I'm getting to here is that there's certain personality types that are just really good at maintaining order and sticking to the to 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 the whatever road they're on. And then they're but they're not that Ew. creative. They can't really like 
adapt very well. Whereas people that are really adaptable and really creative are typically low in conscientiousness. And so I wonder how that lines up with our community and how these different, when we engage with each other and how we play off each other and our different personalities. And I know that young boys, especially we can get in this feedback loop of where we'll egg each other on and we'll get each other to do the most ridiculous things. And so uh, I highly recommend his book. It's called 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. And aside from his controversial views on gender pronouns, and it's uh, from my from what I understand, he's most he's not against using pronouns. He's against the government telling us what to say. That's what he's against. But people kind of misrepresented his idea, his views on that and saying that he's transphobic and and just watching all of his YouTube videos, it seems obvious to me that he's not transphobic. He's but he's against the government telling us what we can and can't say. What's his name? Jordan Peterson. So one day we were at the doctor's office and it was a I think it was a Time magazine. And there was an article in it talking about how this generation will change the way we view gender. Mm -hmm. And so my daughter, son, son daughter, <laughs> my daughter and I were reading it, and um, we were kind of discussing um, because it had mentioned, you know, like choosing that f female mailbox. You know, there are there are people who don't relate to either, or some that relate with both. And I was thinking, well, what about like when you're coming to the doctor and she looked at me and she's like, what? And I said, they have to know what kind of parts you have, you know, to help, to be able to help you. And she goes, then why not ask if you have a, a penis or a vagina? Mm -hmm. And it was like so simple. Yeah. And, and like, but we like, because we're so used to that female, male, you know, box, changing that kind of like it freaked me out like how would we know how to do this and this and this and and my daughter just simply put why not just ask do you have a, p a penis or a vagina and i was like see and that, that's a conversation that really needs to be had and i think people on both sides of that that conversation do that they get kind of flustered and don't really know how to talk about it or maybe they get offended about what's being talked about Instead of having the conversation, then people get stuck in their own ideology and they become unwilling to listen to each other. And changes like that, which, I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Like having, just have, change it to penis box, vagina box, and you check one or the other. That way the doctor can actually deal with your biology, your, your yeah. body, which is very, I mean, that's relevant. But so, as far as them wanting to know your identity, your gender identity, right? Is that so relevant for a doctor to know? Yeah. Um, with these guys, I, actually, I, I do kind of think of, you know, it, it is important for a doctor to know because... Um, Especially like a therapist or psychologist. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but like these two, it's easy for them to consider their older siblings brothers. Yeah. For... Um, Heather's mom, I think it was pretty easy for her to accept it, right? Yeah, because my dad was pretty gay. <laughs> <laughs> he was bisexual. And it was pretty obvious because he had like his best friend Cameron was like his crush. And he, he told me and he wouldn't tell anyone else. He's like, I like Cameron. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. No, no gay You're just stuff. exposing like, his truth. He's cute. And I was like, oh, oh. 
Mm, I learned I was bisexual in seventh grade in the girls' locker room. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I've kind of struggled with it. Um, Mainly because at the time when she... When she decided that, um, and and her first name is actually Anthony, uh, named after my best friend who's been gone for almost 20 years. But, um, and her dad blamed me when, when, it, when she first said it. And, and I was talking with him and he said, do you think it's because you named her Anthony? I was like, yes, that's exactly why she's transgender. It's because I gave her a boy's name. And he kind of looked at me like, are you being sarcastic? You know, but it was just like, yeah, it's a name. And, um, but for me, I want her to make sure because when, when this all come out, it was like one day it was transgender, next day it was gay. And, and I learned so many like different names for all this stuff in like a small amount of time. And it was confusing to me, so I was like, "Tell you make up your mind, you're you're Anthony, you're my daughter, and then tell you can learn everything, everything like in Kootenai from a male perspective, then you will still be my daughter." Hmm. Very, uh, very grounded in culture. Yeah. I think that's one of the ways forward for anyone dealing or struggling with these issues, whether they're whether they view themselves as transgender or cisgender or whatever terminology you want to use, grounding that in some way in your culture, I think is going to be really important for moving forward with clarity so you can actually define these things for yourself. And that way you can have conversations with other people about it and be sure about it and also be able to help other people understand if they're willing to understand. One of the first things... um one of the first things when I found out um, to help her, I I had contacted Vernon Finley, and I asked him, "Do you, you know, can you help me out with stories that I can can tell her?" And so he gave me some stories because in our cultures, transgender people were were highly spiritual. You know, they were held on a higher level than. Um, than than us heterosexual people, no. <laughs> but um, but there's a certain level of spirituality that comes with that, and so he'd given me some stories and I shared them with her because the way it all came out was through her suicide attempt, and it was like dealing with the mental health issue, and then all of a sudden, all these other things just like. It was like, you know, when you turn on a faucet and, you know, you, you can select those levels. Well, somebody just turned it all the way up for me and it, it just hit one, at once. I'm glad that she was able to get that stuff out. But there's a lot of stuff that she doesn't tell me. Um, my kids have this this vision of me that I'm I'm not an understanding person. And I think... I think I robbed her of what she thought I was going to do. Like, (laughs) and it's kind of funny how it all come out though, because we were driving to Missoula and I said something and and she just kind of like looked at me really crazy. And I was, 
it, it just kind of caught me off guard. And I was like, are you telling me you're gay? And she wouldn't talk, but she was using her thumb to kind of gauge. And she was, you know, like going back and forth. And I was like, and I jokingly said, oh, bisexual. And then she kind of stopped and she was like looking right at me. And I was like, okay, you know, and I, I was like trying to figure out how the hell did this come up? And so I didn't say anything then because I was still kind of trying to process it. And then a couple of days later, I took them out to breakfast. I was like, forget about school. We need something, you know, we need to talk about this. And so I took them to breakfast and we were just kind of visiting about different things. And then I said, okay, so the other day in the car and Leighton got really nervous. Like he just started shoving food in his mouth. Like he was, he was afraid that I was going to get mad or something. I don't know. And, um, and, and I kind of made the joke, like I always figured one of my kids would be gay and he was, he was like just shoving food in his mouth. And, but I always thought it would be late and, and he spit his food all over. <laughs> and, and then we start laughing because, you know, that's as Indian people, that's what gets us through is our laughter. Yeah. What'd you think about that, Leighton? He was supposed, <laughs> he was probably like eight or nine. What? I was that young? Yeah. Oh no. Six. And so, so then. I, I gave myself enough time to be okay with, like, she might not be heterosexual, you know, well. And so then we did, you know, like, we found some stories. We had um, people talk to us and, and in a traditional sense, you know, like, uh, if you if you ever get a chance, you can look up the Kootenai Berda. She's, like, somebody... A, a transgender woman that actually took wives um and and she was I, and it was like she went away for a while and then she come back and she was she had come out to the people that she was um going to take wives but she was really powerful and she was really fierce when it came to war um but um those were some of the stories that we had looked up and and kind of gave her gave my daughter a sense of pride, you know, like okay, I'm not crazy. But going back, you know, because I wasn't freaking out about it, I think I kind of scared her. And and it was just like shut up because what she told me was you said something about bisexual people that made me nervous. And I was like, what did I say? And she said, you said they were greedy. And and I don't even, because, you know, like, sometimes you just talk shit. And, and I said something to somebody like, like, pick one and, and quit trying to run back and forth just so you can have somebody. And, and my daughter picked that up. And that's why she was afraid to tell me. And so hmm. <clears throat> that's... I kind of learned my lesson there, like, oh, crap. Yeah. Because, you know, when you when you visit with your friends, you kind of, like, mm -hmm. go off about things. It's like, uh, I had to do that at the bar, not with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought up Vernon and him t sharing some stories with you. And 
because I know that the the stories will be different depending on what culture that you're from. And some cultures view this very, very differently. That doesn't mean that they're wrong about it. So I think that's really important for folks to understand is that just because someone doesn't agree with you on this doesn't mean that they're bad or that they hate you or anything. And that's, I guess, it's just hard. And this is, I think this is relevant because in with, I know that suicide rates are very high among transgender people. And the, that's a big problem. That's something that needs to be addressed and talked about. And I don't know if there's any easy answers to that. And I think one thing that can definitely help is being more proactive about giving everybody tools to deal with depression, to deal with the day-to-day hardness of life. Because no matter who you are, life gets hard. And we're kind of lucky as modern people, we don't really have to deal with the, the majority of what made life hard for our ancestors. But we, we do have a whole different set of problems. And so just getting the right tools to everyone possible, especially young folks and especially young transgender people, I think that's really important. And these tools can be different depending on who you are, but there are, there are some principles that we can follow. Like you talked about yoga earlier, some kind of a mindful practice like breathing or meditation and yoga. Those are really powerful. And I use breathing exercises to get through my day-to-day stress, and it goes away like that, where just three or four breaths in, and I all automatically start feeling better. Is is this something that you guys get in school at all, as far as tools to help you deal with stress and drama and depression? No. No. That was so direct. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really... that. that that, that means he's telling the truth, I think. From my experience, people are telling the truth if they answer really quickly like that. When someone's sitting there like, no, then there, there's something a little more to it under the surface. Well, like you said earlier, when Heather, when you were talking about your counselor, and you, you said, I don't really know if she helps. Um, is it, I wanted to ask you, do you think it's because you don't believe in what she's teaching you? Well, she doesn't really talk about emotions. She talks about, like, the brain, but I guess, like, knowing different parts about the brain really, like, helps with learning about emotion because different parts of the brain connect to different parts of emotion. That's, like, kind of what I like about it, but just, I just don't know her enough to, like, really talk about emotion but I'm kind of getting there because like the things she says about like the brain kind of really connects to like different parts about like healing processes like about feeling broken like empty like feeling weighed down that all has to do with different parts of the brain and different parts of like connections of emotion and when she explains stuff like with the back of the brain like that's where 
I can't remember what it's called. It's really fancy words. I just, <laughs> I just don't know. Smart people. You know that. I can. Only, I'm only thinking of the water boy, the, the hypothalamus. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's because the the oh. crocodiles that they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> But you know that most people, um, average people only know like four emotions. Yeah. And so um, I think that's one of the things that we need to do with our youth is teach them more about the different emotions that we feel like where you're you're not necessarily mad, but you could be confused and frustrated or, you know, have like five different emotions coming in and your only reaction is anger because... That's usually what most of us were taught. Like, sit down, <laughs> you know. And that was that was normal. Like, my my mom always tells us, "You guys need to spank your kids more." And I finally told her one day. I was like, "Why?" By the time we were teenagers, we weren't even afraid of you anymore. I was just like, "Yeah, same." Flinch yeah. a little bit, and and it didn't hurt, you know. And and my mom was like, "Really?" And I was like. We got hit almost on a daily basis over something, you know, it was like. Yeah, and then eventually you have to escalate because the spanking doesn't work anymore. And then you got to bust out the belt. And then when that doesn't work anymore, then you got to start grabbing their hair and and then the fist coming out. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I think my mom realized after a while that none of it it was just kind of a, a, what is that called? A, A zero sum game where nobody was winning. And she stopped the corporal what's that called corporal not corporal punishment uh just physical punishment and because i did the same thing i would laugh at her sometimes and that didn't help me very much but (laughs) and i realized the same thing with my kids that after a while the spanking didn't and so i started i just took a step back and i wondered like what am i actually teaching them with that i still spank leighton once in a while yeah yeah but it was the last time you got spanked leighton a month ago. A month ago? Were you being a little punk or what? Um, No, a couple months ago, actually. It was for me smoking cigarettes. Ah. Cigarettes. See, I, I can't say much about them because I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes. I still do. She started yeah, it's, it's at 13. Tough to, it's tough to hold your kids accountable for not to not do things but when you you're know doing what? it. I will be a hypocrite about that because I tell them all the time. If I could have, if I could have quit and and I started smoking like as a joke, that's the crazy thing. My mom bought me my first pack of cigarettes and, um, it came like when my mom and dad were getting a divorce. And so my mom was like giving my sister everything she wanted. And she used to, my sister used to get beat up a lot for smoking when we were younger. And she always like, Amok would tell on her, you know, like. Mom, why don't you do this, you know, and then motion like some kind of cigarette thing. Who does that? Sister Nicole, you know, and then and then Nicole would get confronted and then she'd lie and then she'd get beat up. And and so I was 13 and I lived with my dad. Well, actually, I lived with my grandma. But yeah, pop, pop. Um, <laughs> I went over. I was going to go stay with my sister because my mom was going out. And they were, she was going to the store first and she's like, Nick, do you need a pack of cigarettes? And I was like, 
what the hell? You know, like, after all those beatings, now you're just buying them uh, for so, her? So you just jokingly said, yeah, and yeah, and give me some cigarettes. She's like, sign, what do you want? And I was like, cigarettes? You know, just being a smart ass. And she come back and threw me a pack of cigarettes. And so then I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to huh. smoke. Did she and throw them at you? It, like, tossed them to me. Yeah, I was always told you're not supposed to throw tobacco. Uh, probably, but... and so that's how i started smoking and i've told my kids it's highly addictive don't start you know yeah but then like when you tell kids not to do something what are they going to do i know like when i grew up my mom usually listen (laughs) really maybe maybe it was just me (laughs) when my mom told me no you, you can't do that or anybody actually told me i can't do something I would want to try it. It was almost like I wanted to try it even more. But that didn't mean I always did try it. It, it was just like this th- this thing that I completely get it. Yeah. Um, I was told no more running or jumping. And so now I do half marathons. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't become a gymnast or something? No. Did you want to become a gymnast at one point? Probably Don't be jumping. Kindergartner. Right. Screw that. I'm going to be... <laughs> so... We've um, gotten a long ways away from fry bread and, and, uh, <laughs> and Indian yeah, tacos. Dude. So that that I think that's an important connection to make with with suicide prevention is diet and nutrition and these tools that like hopefully we can get from our therapists and yeah and and like the stories the, the different stories and grounding it in our cultures. That's a really powerful way forward. But really, when it comes down to it, I think one of the simplest things is to become better listeners. And sometimes that means just like not trying to fix anything, but just listening to people. (laughs) Is that something that you two experience sometimes when you try and go and talk to someone about your troubles, that they're trying to fix the problem for you when maybe you just need them to listen? Yeah, that happens between us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there you go that that's i think because i think we all want that at some point we all just want to be listened to and we don't want and sometimes we don't want someone to solve our problems but sometimes we do want someone to give us some advice so maybe becoming better listeners and then becoming better at communicating our needs to other people and both of those are pretty tough i think i've had the same best friend since i was around 13 and I think we've got it down to where, like, when we're, we have a group chat, you know, and so we'll talk and we kind of joke through things. But sometimes it's like, wait, did you really want advice on that? Or are you just saying it just to get it off your chest? So we've gotten pretty good at, at just asking each other because you're right. There's times when, like, I could talk to to my mom and we're all fixers, you know, immediately. Well, how are you going to fix that? What are you going to do? You know, we, we want it done and over so we can move on with our lives. But sometimes it, it's it's deep-rooted, you know, like, I just need somebody to hear me. I'm hurting today. And, and at, at some point, you just want to hug, <laughs> you know. Don't say nothing to me. But, but there's other times when... I know if somebody touches me, I will fall apart, and I and I don't want to do that. And so it's like, um, Yo, get off 
Like, I'll talk to people, but I'll make sure, like, I'm this far away, you know, like, so that they don't, oh, you know. But I am a hugger. <laughs> yeah. Do you have moments like that, Heather? Yeah. I'll be, like, really deep in the conversation of, like, how I'm feeling. Like, if I'm feeling depressed one day, I'll go talk to my mom. Or I'll even, like, talk to my brother. He doesn't talk back. He just listens, and he's like, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. And, like, I don't know why, but I like talking to him. Which brother, though? Jesse. He, Jesse. Like, he doesn't talk back in full sentences, which I like, is because I get to say what I get to say, and he just sits there and looks at me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, that, that is nice. I understand. And, like, that's how it is with my mom. I'll be talking, and she'll, she'll just look at me and, like, nod. She'll be like, yeah, I get it. And, like, she'll hug me, and I'll just burst out in tears. It's because I really just needed to, like, be hugged. Like, it isn't really a simple handshake that I need. Like, I'll be like, yeah, that's cool, like, with a bro. And then when it's with my mom, she'll give me a full-on bear hug, and it just makes me feel warm inside. And I feel like... It only makes me feel like that because my dad used to do that with me. Like he'd cry at stupid things. Like there were those dog commercials on TV where they were like in the pound and stuff. Oh, and he'd watch those and Sarah just McLaughlin like yeah. he'd bawl his eyes out. Sarah McLaughlin is responsible for a lot of people crying. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, I don't listen to to I don't know, I can't oh be my by like homeless animals. <laughs> I just get really sad. <laughs> like, there were times he'd bawl his eyes out just watching those, and, he, like, the first person he'd call to hug him was me. He was like, Bear, come here. That's my nickname, Bear. Like, he'd, like, Bear, come here. And then he'd, like, come give me a hug. I'm sad. I'm like, why? These freaking damn commercials. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> and he'd cry at those for, like, ever and my mom's like oh quit being a baby and she's like even i don't cry at those and my dad's like i love animals heartless <laughs> i know <laughs> then he, he had this dog his name was jackson but he ran away to these weird people <laughs> and <laughs> yeah and then who they, was the weird people if the dog ran away <laughs> i don't even know they had like all <laughs> cats and he'd He'd play with those cats like they were dogs. Like, there were dogs that lived around us. He'd be terrified of them. Marla. He had, like, this little blue puppy that he'd, like, chew on. It was squeaky. He got sad one day because it wouldn't squeak anymore. So I think that's the day he ran away is when it wouldn't squeak anymore. <laughs> and then we got another dog. His name was Randy. He called him Randy Jackson. <laughs> I don't know why. He He's loved He loved Andal. And Andals. He loved animals to death. And, yeah. I think that's why I kind of stopped liking dogs, is because when my dad passed away, that was his favorite animal was dogs. I didn't really have connections with dogs, except that one dog, Jackson. He was a little brown, fluffy dog. He had a lot of curls. His I don't like bark dogs. was so obnoxious. It was, like, squeaky and raspy at the same time. Like, 
I don't know. It sounds like when Layton like screams kind of. Uh check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to rest anybody. Just got called out. <laughs> Compared to a dog. <laughs> hmm. I, I wonder if the this person is going to be listening to this someday and going to get offended. Do you think? <laughs> is, do you think so? Maybe. Maybe not. Probably. I hope they do. I miss my dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I really think that this is kind of a controversial opinion. Maybe that. If you get offended by something, it's kind of because you deserve to be offended because you're offending yourself in some ways. Because usually like when we get offended by stuff, it's because of how we think about it. Even if what was said or what was done is really shitty and mean, because we, we latch onto it and then we start thinking about it and thinking really negative things about that thing and then we get offended. And so it's it's a it's a balance though because... Being offended is a response to what's happening in our external world. So, but that being offended is not really anybody else's fault. It's how we're reacting to it. But at the same time, people do shitty things. And sometimes they need to be called out for that. So it's a, that's what the way I view emotions is there a way for us to learn about ourselves and how we respond to the world. And they're not necessarily a signal to say the world is a certain way but they help us understand ourselves and the world at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best advice I was ever given was when I was 18. My grandma told me if you're offended, then somewhere inside yourself you believe it. Oh, I remember you saying that before. I really I like that better than the one else than you deserve it. That, I think that I like that better. That advice has gotten me through the past 20 some years just like People think I don't care or I'm narcissistic or whatever you want to call it, but it's just I've gotten to a point in life where it's like, do I believe it? Nah, move on. Yeah, because that's cool. Like you're owning it more. So I don't waste time, you know, sitting around gossiping with people or, Mm -hmm. you know, because things get said and then and then you store it in your brain and then you see that person and you're like, oh, God, I don't want to see these guys. You know what I was told? Then you pass it on and... Hmm. I'm pretty much a loner these days. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So, that's just it. I always say I'm fortunate. So, that I think that's a really good spot to kind of just wrap, start wrapping things up. And then we usually like to end the episode by talking about some tips that we would give this episode in particular. We call them "What would be your tips or your tip." For being indigenous in the modern world, and so don't be dumb. That's that's a good one. So, do you have any more, or would that be your main tip for being to be indigenous in the modern world? Be a leader, not a follower. Ah, and uh, can you can you can you explain that a little more? Um, How would you do that? Don't like if your friends tried like doing to t- trying to convince you to do something like bad. Don't do it. Because that's what got me smoking cigarettes, but I stopped. Pretty hmm. much. Like, what do you mean, pretty much? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can I can interpret that in numerous ways. That's a good one, though. Don't yes, be a follower, yes, be a leader. Be a leader, not a follower. How about you, Heather? 
Don't take advantage of good opportunities. Because one day, you'll look back on the opportunity and wish you would have taken it better instead of wasting it. Hmm. That kind of lines up with what you are saying about responsibility earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So don't, don't, don't let those opportunities pass you by. And in a way, it's almost like your responsibility, right? To, to make the best of it. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Or am I misrepresenting what you said? Like, take, ad- take action, not advantage. Mm. Facts, bro. <laughs> Facts. I can fuck with that. <laughs> Mine would be to, to be adventurous. Mm. But to have boundaries, healthy boundaries. Good, I like that one. How about you, Annie? Oh, I've, I've, we've done like twenty-four episodes where I've given my tips. I don't know anymore. I know. Um, I'm, I'm out of tips. <laughs> there's a lot. Um, I guess uh, if you if you go to a national park or a refuge, follow signs. Make sure that you listen to the people there. <laughs> Yeah, is that kind of plant building off of what happened in Yellowstone? Well, and at the Bison Range, just all the time. Uh, yeah. Just just follow signage. We, don't be dumb. That's exactly what Lane said. Yeah. Don't be dumb. Every weird. time I see something like that pop up in the news, I always think of Red Foreman on that oh. 70 show. Dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I picture him saying it because I think, really? He didn't know the wild animal would attack? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I tried to feed a bear and um, he got killed. Yeah, for some reason the bear didn't like that. There was cubs and everything. I thought I would have figured it was going to be nice and cuddly. You're not Steve Irwin, man. Yeah, only Steve Irwin can hug bears, okay? You know who Steve Irwin is. <laughs> I know, huh? How long? he's been? It's, he's been dead for a while now. Yeah. Damn. Interesting. Traditional lady. <laughs> Hmm. The, you know what? I'm gonna. I like your shirt, and that Thanks. I think that would be my tip: is don't keep toxic people in your life just because you've been friends with them for a while, or just, even just because they're family. Sometimes that's the most important, but also the most difficult thing we can do is to just let people go that aren't serving yourself or your family or your responsibilities and those opportunities, they might actually be actively keeping you from becoming a better person or from jumping on those opportunities. So it's tough. It's, it's one of those tough things that we all kind of have to do at some point. And I know that I've had to, and it's not like you got to go to your friend or your family or whoever it is and say, you know what, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore because you're a bad person. Or because I don't like this about you. Really, it's as simple as just not spending time with them anymore. And yeah, yeah. I mean, ghosting them is totally an option too. And if they text you, then you can respond. But then just not proactively trying to hang out with them anymore. And eventually, we just drift. You just drift apart from people. And I think that's really important. So that that would be my tip to be indigenous in the modern world because there's a lot of drama in our on the res and unless you're disconnecting yourself from that drama parks too (laughs) yeah so there's a lot of drama in modern life and unless you're doing something to to step out of that it's really tough to 
keep the good vibes. Keep that. So what her shirt says is good vibes or goodbye. And I like that. Big facts. Yeah. Big facts and lots <laughs> of good vibes. So thank you all for joining us. And we really appreciate you two having the courage to come on and get on a microphone and listen to yourselves for two hours. Wow. It's yeah. been two hours. Yeah. Holy. It's, I know it goes by fast, doesn't it? So, yeah. and it does, it takes some guts to come on and uh, give yourself, yourself the permission to be on a microphone. And thank you, Selena, for helping put this together. And we hope to do some more of this down the road. This was really fun. I want to do it again. Cool. I think I'd like to have a podcast, like at the school. Like, Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I think that'd be sweet. And so if either one of you want us to get that going, we're more than happy to help you get that up and running. I would love do that. that. Wow. Let's do it. I'm down. That'd be so cool. Um, cool. I think, do you guys remember Turtle Talk TV or whatever they called it at Two Eagle? And uh-huh. they would just go through the hallways and talk with all the kids. And I think that was like I the late how 90s. They, they did that. Hmm. No, I don't think so. But I think I think it would be fun to get all the kids involved yeah. at Two Eagle and get a podcast going and they can just take it from, hmm. from Have wherever. they finished that document for the school yet? What document? Oh, no, over the one that yeah, they um, interviewed it on? They're editing now. They um, Editing. <laughs> oh, I can't remember. The woman's name is Jamie something. They're from California. So when the article came out about um, the R. Lee boys in the New York Times, uh, that woman started doing more research because she was like, they're not really directly affected by it. And Two Eagles' name kept coming up. Hmm. And so she did a little bit more research. And I can't remember who she got a hold. I think it was Camus. And ended up... um, they they did a documentary on the school and the suicide and basketball, you know, different things about the lives of the students. That's really cool. And I think that's the first step to, to a lot of good things in life in general is w- awareness, expanding your awareness and raising awareness, spreading awareness, whatever it is with awareness. But that doesn't go anywhere unless there's action. Mm-hmm. So... Awareness and action. Take action. Don't let those opportunities slip by. And we usually end with what we're grateful for, but we've already gone over two hours. So (laughs) I'm going to go and just read these signs off your wall because they make a lot of sense. Live simply and be grateful, but coffee first. (laughs) You like like the order? Yeah. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you like the episode, make sure you go to our iTunes page and you leave us a review. Yes. Give us a like. Yes, and five stars. Five stars. Just because because you you want to. If you don't like iTunes, you can also follow us on our social media pages. Oh, yeah, and you can drop a comment or leave a review on there, too. Yep, Mm -hmm. and we also have a website. Yes, we do. (laughs) And it's a really cool one called IndianScienceShow.wordpress.com. But if you'd like to just access our site directly from the place that hosts it, it's the same thing, but IndianScienceShow.podient.co. 
we would love to hear from you guys. Yeah. And Indian Science Show is spelled N-D-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S-H-O-W dot WordPress dot com. Thank you for lending us your ears. And now you should go use your fingers and your eyes to go leave us a review. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>